Hi, this is Kev Legs Walker, and you are about to hear a podcast of an interview that appeared on Shades of Blues here on The Cat. And there will be plenty more as we delve into the archives. Sit back and enjoy. I'm delighted to say I'm now joined all the way from America by Diana Greenleaf. Uh, Diana, how are you? I'm okay, how are you today? Um, bearing up, bearing up, we're... we're at the time of recording, we're suffering a bit of a heat wave, or what we consider a heat wave here in the UK. But um, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's much harder than you used to. It is very much so. Yes, uh, but not the hottest I've ever been. That was in New Orleans, which was just crazy. Anyway, <laughs> um, I'm delighted to be talking to you. But we'll give people um, a bit of an insight into who you are and your background. And your parents introduced you to music, didn't they, through gospel? Oh, yes. I mean, there was always music in our our house. My father was a vocal coach for young men going into gospel music. And um, but other than that, you know, we're just a musical family. But people are more familiar with many of his former uh, students or uh, people that he worked with to train. Daddy didn't want any, um, you know, he wasn't in it for fame or anything like that. Mm. He was in, into it for service to to God. Yeah. So were you a member of the choir then? Oh, yeah. You know, as children, there was the children's choir. Then, you know, the young adults choir, which is the... Uh, you know, the teenagers, they called us young adults. And then there was the adult choir and the senior choir. <laughs> so you were following in the footsteps of many greats who had gone before you, like Aretha Franklin. And, um, well, Aretha is mentioned as one of your influences, along with yes. Sister Rosetta Tharp. Absolutely. And I think, if I might be correct on this, that you are the first person I've interviewed over all these years who's listed Sister Rosetta Tharp as one of your influences. Is that right? I think so, yeah. Wow, well, they're missing out. They are indeed. <laughs> uh, I mean, would you say that she's much underrated? Very much. Everybody should know about her because, you know, and I'm not saying that because she was friends with my mother and father. Uh, I'm saying that because of her sheer talent and um, disability. I never met Miss Miss Rosetta. I met and got to know Miss Marie Knight, and she told me, you know, by that time my parents were dead. She told me, "Oh, you look so much like your mother," you know. And she told me about uh, she and Rosetta, you know, being in Houston and you know actually staying two or three days with my parents, and you know, I was just soaking it all in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I did not know her. But I, all, I knew her music, my sister and I, my younger sister, Ursula. In other words, we used to sing and be uh, Sister Rosetta and Marie Knight. Right. You know? Yeah. And my sister played piano. She played organ, uh, flute, piccolo, um, um, and um, also saxophone. <laughs> and she sang with me. Well, there's an old clip of... Sister Rosetta Tharp, and I can't remember the song that she's playing. I mean, she had a belting Uh voice, but on this clip, Uh you can see she's a brilliant guitarist as well. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And that was one of the unusual things also about her. Now, you know, she and her mother used to uh, 
to sing and, you know, do revivals and things like that. I believe also played mandolin and violin or fiddle because her mother also played as well. And they sang. But, uh, oh, yeah, I mean, just just her phrasing on some things, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you use your gospel influences on some of your songs as well. I was listening to one just prior to this interview, uh, Growing Up and Growing Old, from uh, Trying to Hold On. Uh-huh. That's got well, a certain... you know, people say that. I don't know. I just write the way that I write, and I just sing the way that I sing. Yeah. So, you know, there's sometimes when people say, you know, uh, I can hear your gospel influence, or... You know what I mean, or something like that. Um, mm. You know. Um, well, it, uh, it is a curse of people within the music business that they like to pigeonhole things. Yeah, yeah. so we'll say, "Oh, that's gospel," but it's more than that. Yeah, you know. Uh, well, I'm an independent. I've been an independent all this time. I mean, even when I was the female vocalist with the Muddy Water Chicago Legends, and I was with them for 13 years. You know, I've never had. Um, in other words, I do my own booking. I would like to have find a good agent, but I haven't been able to find one. <laughs> uh, and I have been an independent, and I just, nobody's ever taught me how to write, or I've never had a vocal lesson. You know, even though Daddy taught young men in gospel, we would have to show some strong, strong interest, and he could show us what he knew or something like that. Mm-hmm. But they didn't even talk about the old days. I mean, you you got to understand, this was many years before I came along and was born. And I only knew, met a lot of people when they came back to do a gospel tribute to him at his funeral, or the night before the funeral. And it was several hours long, and that's when I met a lot of them. Albertina Walker, who was was in the black community we considered to be the uh, queen of gospel music. She was the one who originated or started the, the caravans. Yeah, it's, uh, it was Shirley Caesar, uh, Inez Andrews, uh, Albertina Walker. You've mentioned many names there, but uh, over the, the years you have performed with so many names. If we listed them all, we would be here for quite some time, but... Bob Margolin, Keb Moe, James Cotton, Hubert Sumlin, Pinetop Perkins, just to name but a few. Is the yeah. one that stands out in particular, someone who maybe gave you a piece of advice that has stuck with you? Wow. All of them gave me advice. Uh, you know, Coco, BB, uh, because I guess they, they saw something in me. And again, remember that a lot of these people knew my parents and just didn't say it to me. Until later on, Texas Johnny Brown, people that you might not know, Texas Johnny Brown and I.J. Gosey, who were the backing band for Junior Parker, mm-hmm. um, who's, I hope you know that name, Junior yes, Parker. Yes, definitely. You know, out of Houston. And people, a lot of people don't know that Texas Johnny Brown wrote the song Two Steps from the Blues, which was made famous by Bobby Blue Bland. Well, even Bobby Blue Bland, you know what I mean? He told me sometime after I known him for years and he had me and my band come and open for him on some shows you know because he wanted to give us exposure gate miles brown mm-hmm. you know there were people who said oh gate miles hard to deal with sometimes he was never hard to deal with me he was always very nice to me and 
had me and my band open for him. He did something that he didn't usually do, too. He told me to tell my guitar player and my bass player to, to bring their instruments into him. And he signed them. He just picked up a, a, a pen and he signed them. And that's something that they cherish because he did not do that. Right. When you say your band, we're talking about Blue Mercy here. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, let me see. I mean, there were just others that I met during the years. You know, like I was kind of been walking in a fog with my head, but my feet really not on the ground because, you know, to be, you know, summoned by B.B. and Coco is, you know, high cotton, you know, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, they say, well, we just want to talk to you about some things. And, you know, then they became, we became friends all over the years. And, you know, I will just consider myself very blessed. Hubert used to tell everybody that I was his niece, you know, uh, Hubert Sumlin. Yeah. Uh, you know. Another thing that uh, must have made you proud, you were the first woman to hold the post of president of the Houston Blues Society. That's true. And you held that for the three first. years. Were you... Mm-hmm. Uh, and I produced the Willie Mae Big Mama Thornton Blues Festival during that time. Did someone put you forward or did you think, I can do this? Well, actually, uh, some of the elder statesmen and elder stateswomen in the blues community, they said, we want you to to run and do this. There's a lot being lost, you know, and um, we want you to do this. Oh. And I said to them, oh, my goodness, I'm not the one. Just as I told Katie Webster and Teddy Cry Cry Reynolds, when they were trying to get me to sing, I said, oh, you know, you probably want to talk to one of my other siblings. <laughs> I'm not the one. They go, we heard you saying you are the one. <laughs> and I said, no, but I I can't be running around the country. I have a job that I really love. I, you know, I'm a counselor. You know, and they said, we're proud of you. You know, some of us were there when you walked across the stage and got your, your master's degree. <laughs> well, that's something I was going to mention because... In the course of the research, you got a degree for mass communications, didn't you? I have an undergraduate in that, and I have a master's in uh, counselling. So I was wondering whether the degree in mass communications, whether that was helpful as president. Well, the counselling degree has come in to be more helpful. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, leading a band, I didn't realise until... I was sitting down having coffee and uh, cake and, you know, well, we had everything, tea with both Katie Webster and Coco Taylor, that a lot of the women, they may be in front of the band, but they didn't, they weren't the real band leaders uh, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they were telling me about these things. And uh, they were telling me they were proud of me because a man wasn't speaking for me that I was actually handling all the business and everything myself. But, you know, they say ignorance is bliss. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you don't know, you know, you just go on and do what is necessary to do. Yeah. You understand? Um, I was not aware. I didn't know. Another thing that you were heavily involved, I'm, I'm not sure if you are still involved in it, uh, the Blues in Schools program. Yes. Uh, well, 
let me say that I was doing that for a number of years. Well, I mean, a number. When I say a number of years, you know, like more than twenty years out of my own pocket, mm. you know. Yeah. And uh, when I became president of the Blues Society, I turned it over to them because I realized, like as BB was telling me, there was a wealth of knowledge right here in the community. He said, why do you think I got so many of my band members out of Houston? He right. said, you know, people are always trying to run to uh, Austin or somewhere else, in Dallas or anywhere else in Texas. He said, but Duke Peak Records was right there in Houston. I said, yes, I know my daddy was, you know, with them on the gospel side. He said, I know that. He said, I used to play your daddy's music on WDIA in Memphis when mm. I was a DJ there. Yeah. He said, then I came to Houston to meet your daddy because he was the vocal coach for the Highway QC. I said, well, I knew about that, but he said, well, do you know who was in the Highway QC? I said, I no, I didn't really look it up or anything like that. They didn't really talk about it. He said, well, Taylor Jr., Johnny Taylor, Sam Cooke. I mean, he named them all. Mm. He said, you know, Sam Cooke stayed uh, in Houston with your dad and mom for, he said, well, I know at least for four months because he was there when I went there. And, and when I was traveling back through, he was still there staying with them. And then he told me that my dad and their dad were friends. But my dad had never talked to me about that. Over the years, this mm -hmm. support that you've had has garnered you many, many awards. 2008 winner of Best New Artist debut at the BMAs, winner of the Coco Taylor Awards Traditional Blues Female 2014-2017, Living Blues Magazine's 2015 Female Artist of the Year, you must have a massive trophy room. <laughs> well, <laughs> I have a, I have an area. <laughs> I have an area. <laughs> I have an. But the thing is, you know what? Though I've been acknowledged by the people, the public, but not so much by the the what I call the industry. Like I told you, I have no agent. I'm not with any record label except my own, Blue Mercy Records. Although this last project I did on Little Village, uh, and it's been very, very nice. Everyone has been very pleasant, and, you know, uh, they're highly skilled. Uh, so that's been great. Um, but all of my other projects have been on Blue Mercy Records, my own. And, you know, even though, uh, you know, Coco said on the stage, both in Norway and in Switzerland, when I get ready to pass the torch, you know, this is the young lady I'm going to be passing it to. You know, uh, and then she called me up, and it was still, each time she did that, it was still kind of shocking and a little bit embarrassing because it was like, oh, no, you, you know, you must mean somebody else. Mm. But upon her death, the record label that she was with, Alligator Records, the owner did name someone else. So students started calling me the people's queen of blues. Right. And I didn't, since I didn't give myself the name and they gave it to me, I kept the moniker, you know. Yeah. So the people's queen of blues. But all I have to be called is Diana, which <laughs> is the name that mom and daddy gave me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know? 
You mentioned a couple of uh, international trips there. You have performed at many festivals across America and abroad. Is there any, yes, anyone that sticks out in particular for any reason? Oh, my goodness. Well, I, I, we're in the States. I really love doing King Biscuit, and it's ironic. I'm going to do, I was doing it with, I did it with my band, uh, yes, but I really enjoyed doing it with the Muddy Waters Legends group, and that was Pine Top Perkins on keyboards, and on guitar it was Steady Rolling Bob Margolin and Hubert Sumlin. On drums it was Willie Big Eye Smith. On bass, it was Calvin Fuzz Jones. You know, this is when we first started off, you know. Mm. And on harmonica, we had two harmonica players. On harmonica, we had Carrie Bell, and we had James Cotton. Wow. And then me. Mm. You know, it's like, I, you know, I'd be on stage, and I'd look around at them. I mean, we'd be having so much fun. But then if there was a pause, I'd look around and say, what am I doing up here with these guys? You yeah. know what I mean? One of those moments that where you have to thing. pinch yourself. Yeah, that kind of thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, again, Hubert would tell everybody, yeah, this is my niece. And then Pine Top would tell everybody that I was his granddaughter. That's my <laughs> granddaby. <laughs> That's my grandbaby. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, so, you know, and that's how it felt. You know, it was family, you know? Your 2011 CD, we mentioned it before, Trying to Hold On, that mm -hmm. featured 10 songs that you wrote and a few yeah. that you co-wrote as well. Were some of these ones that have been hanging around for some time or did you write them specifically for that album? Well, a couple of them had been hanging around for a while. But another thing that I'm proud of about the Trying to Hold On CD is that people get a chance to hear my grandmother's voice at, on her 102nd birthday. Wow. That's when we recorded her singing it. Mm -hmm. Every year on her birthday, she would honor God by giving back, in other words. And so she would have us all sit on the floor in front of her, and she would teach us a new gospel song. That was her teaching us, He is everything to me. Right. And then I sing it again after her on the CD because she had passed away then, but I wanted her to know that I had not forgotten. Her name was Sylvie Travis, and she was 102 there, and she died at 105 years old wow. in her right mind. Yeah. Coming back to your latest album, I Ain't Playing. Um, yeah. That's the fifth studio album of your career. That's right, isn't it? Um, yes, real, I mean, real, real on studio. Like, you know, I, of course, with the other productions with Blue Mercy, I went to different studios and did cuts and things like that. But an actual studio album, yes, with Little Village. I will say this, um, with this CD, I wanted to let people know how I was feeling, and especially since, we were in the pandemic, but I also wanted to give them something to lighten them up a little bit. I wanted to acknowledge that I was feeling that way, but I also wanted to give them hope and encouragement. Mm. Well, this new album, the the recording of it, obviously that must have 
gone on during the pandemic, which brings its own yeah. problems. Um, but yeah. now it's done and it's available. Are you glad mm-hmm. to glad it's there and glad to be out on the road again? Yes. We had a release date. Uh, we did it May 5th because I went to Memphis because I, you know, do some work with the Pine Top Perkins Foundation. I do some work with the uh, Generation Blues and the Heart Fund and also uh, Fax Academy, you know, trying to assist their youth and things like that. But we had, that was a soft release. But the release of this was actually June 1st, I think it was. But it was number one on three of the major blues charts three weeks before it was released. Right. Because, fortunately, the Little Village got it to a lot of the DJs to let them hear it. And last week we were notified that the CD was number one on the blues charts in Japan and in Australia. Right. And I'm just I've just been totally pleasantly surprised. Your touring plans, will that take in Europe? Are you gonna be going abroad? Yes, I'll be going I've signed some contracts actually to go this winter. Right. And um do yeah, I have some festival dates. I like I said I don't have an agent, but I was trying to see if there was something in UK for, you know, um the last weekend in uh, November through the first uh, weekend in December. Um, but it takes me time to look those things up. Usually I do this a year in advance, but again, I've been trying to stay safe, you know, but I have now accepted some dates and I hope you'll look for me. I can't announce it yet because they haven't announced. No. But I'll just say, <laughs> look, look for me in November and December in Europe. And if anybody knows anything that's happening that whole first week of December or the last week in November, hey, email me, contact me, so we're not going to try and apply. Anybody listening to this, you heard it. Get in touch. Oh, that's <laughs> right. I forget we're not just talking to each other. <laughs> <laughs> Well, oh my it, it, it has been an absolute joy talking to you, and uh, I hope we can do it again sometime. Thank you so much. Try and stay safe. Bye-bye. And I hope you enjoyed that little interview there, and there will be more as we record more for the show, and we are going to delve into the archives and pull some of the old ones out as well. So, plenty more to come. And, of course, if you want to hear the whole show, there is always Listen Again. I'll see you next time. Take care.